getting better at giving presentations or public speaking in general, just communicating what you do or the value you bring to a company is going to be really important moving forward. So it's definitely something that I, I took on for myself. And that's really where the idea of Teach the Geeks stemmed from. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's a Material World podcast. I'm your host, Puneet Upadhyay. I have David joining me today. How's it going, David? Pretty good. I was just remarking to Puneet that I'm waking up very early now that I'm on the West Coast <laughs> time, so you can see the sunrise behind me, and <laughs> it's not my ideal. I, I'm not a morning person, so. but it's okay. Today, I was very invigorated by our guests and the conversation we had. Maybe you could tell us more. Yeah, definitely. So we brought on Neil Thompson, who is the host of Teach the Geek podcast, and he really talks a lot about improving your technical communication skills, public speaking skills, and especially communicating to a non-technical audience, you know, what is the best way to go about that. And recently, I had the opportunity to join his podcast. And so now you're kind of flip-flopped and we got to interview him and really learn about his career, his journey, and his advice for exactly, you know, people like you and me and young professionals or students, et cetera, on how to improve it from the technical communication standpoint. So did you have any tidbits or favorite pieces of advice that you wanted to share right now? The one that I found most helpful was his timing uh, piece of advice. Just not only do you have a certain time and you shouldn't go over as as like disrespectful of everybody else's time, but the timing in which you tell things is dependent on the audience. And so kind of shaping your presentation to your audience is like one of the most important things you can do as an engineer, especially if you're presenting to people who are non-technical or higher up. So I thought that was a very relevant piece of advice from my own work. What about you? My favorite piece of advice that Neil shared was knowing what the call to action at the end should be or what you want it to be, and then working backwards from there in terms of how you prepare your presentation and exactly what you talk about. It helps remove a lot of the fluff and you can create that storyline from start to finish where it makes sense what that end of the day, what that call to action is. And another little bit that we don't have time to get into, just listen to it in the in the actual discussion, but we also harp on kind of what it takes to rise up that ladder, you know, get that promotion, take it to the next level. There's a lot of really valuable pieces of information that you and I discuss and what Neil really dives into. So be on the lookout for that. That happens probably, you know, halfway through the episode. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. So for today's episode, we are very excited to welcome Neil Thompson. Since earning his master's in bioengineering and his master's in biomedical engineering from Clemson University and Columbia University, Neil has held various roles in biomedical engineering, technical communication, and with patent law. He is also the founder of Teach the Geek, an educational network centered around enhancing the technical communication skills of STEM professionals. Neil is also currently a business development manager at Sterilliant, which provides packaging services for the medical device industry. Thank you for joining us today, Neil. Thanks for having me. Start us off, you've had quite the background with a very impressive array of fields. Could you briefly describe your professional journey and how your STEM-based background inspired you to start Teach the Geek? 
I started off as a research associate. That was my first job out of school. And that job didn't require any speaking, really. I worked in a lab for the most part, doing a lot of experiments, writing up protocols and reports. And all of the anything that had to do with speaking was was handled by my boss. And it was definitely not a, an arrangement that I was upset about. It wasn't until it was my second job where I was a product development engineer at a larger medical device company where speaking actually came to the fore for me. And it wasn't even something that I was expecting. A few months after I started the job, I was called into my boss's office and told that I was going to be a project lead. Apparently, the company was too cheap to hire project managers, so they pushed that responsibility onto the product development engineers, one of which was giving project progress updates to senior management on a monthly basis. So we're talking the CEO, CTO, CMO, C fill in the blank O, all the Cs, in a, in a room, looking at me and all the other project leads, talk about our projects and, and the status of them. And those first few presentations I had to give were absolutely horrendous. I didn't know it was possible to sweat that profusely from one's body. But there I was for the first few presentations. It wasn't just the first one. And I eventually knew that I needed to get better at giving these presentations. Well, one, because I often would get questions after the presentation from the C-level types that I thought I had answered during the presentation. But because I didn't put things in a way that they could understand, now I'm getting these questions. And if I was sweating before, now I'm really sweating. <laughs> and then secondly, the issue I had was then my project got canceled. And this was the project that I was actually brought to the company to do. So I was very, very nervous about, I guess, my my future with the company. Luckily, I was just put onto other projects. But that definitely was the wake-up call that I needed to, to know that Getting better at giving presentations or public speaking in general, just communicating what you do or the value you bring to a company is going to be really important moving forward. So it's definitely something that I, I took on for myself. And that's really where the idea of Teach the Geek stemmed from. I put together an online course that was geared towards people like myself, people in the technology fields or te in the technical fields, and I called it Teach the Geek to Speak. And I sold it for, uh, for a couple of years just as a standalone course for people with technical backgrounds to improve their public speaking skills. About a year ago, I decided to make it a membership. So in addition to getting the course, people get access to each other, You know, all the people who are taking the course, in addition to monthly calls. And then even more recently, I decided to partner with engineering associations and offer the membership to its members. And that's been certainly been a work in progress, something I've definitely been happy that I that I did. And well, when it comes to the, all the other things that I've done, you know, outside of Teach the Geek, you mentioned patent law. It was actually at my third job that I became a patent agent. The, the main difference between a patent agent and a patent attorney is law school. You know, attorneys go to law school, patent agents don't. But both have the ability to draft patent applications and file them with the patent office and then prosecute them with with the with the patent office. And me even becoming a patent agent wasn't my idea. It was my boss's idea. He wanted the engineers. It was a small company, three engineers, including myself. He wanted all of us to become patent agents so he wouldn't have to outsource patent filings to outside counsel. Everything could be handled in-house. So I actually became a patent agent to do that. The other two engineers didn't even bother to take the test to become patent agents. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, he outsourced the patent filings anyway. So even though I was a patent <laughs> I was a patent agent with nothing to nothing to patent <laughs> for a number of years. Even while I was still with the company, I just I was a patent agent, as I mentioned, with nothing to patent. Maybe a, a few years ago, I started doing contract work with a IP firm here in the San Diego area. 
actually drafting patents and filing them and prosecuting them. So luckily the whole patent agent thing didn't go to waste. I only recently stopped doing that and focusing more on, on Teach the Geek. But then you also mentioned Sterilliant. So actually I started that with a couple of former coworkers from when I worked as a medical device product development engineer. And that really is with helping typically smaller companies who don't have packaging engineers in-house with their packaging projects. Since for a lot of them, they're focused on the actual product and not necessarily the packaging that the product goes into. And there's quite a bit of a validation work and even and sterilization work for the packaging that you need to go through for the for you to be able to market and sell your product. So that's basically my my journey from from research associate to to patent agent to teach the geek to 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 sterile and then I also wrote a children's book. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, I, I did that too. So so my children's book is called Ask Uncle Neil Why Is My Hair Curly. It's about my nephew asking me why his hair is the way it is, and I use science to answer the question. So yeah, I keep myself busy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you have such a versatile background, which I love. But I wanted to take it back to, you know, when you were first starting to give those technical presentations to the chief executive officers and really the whole exec board outside of just practice and repetition, right? Just is there anything that uh, a student or a young professional can do to improve their technical communication skills outside of just having that direct practice? Certainly. I think it really it comes down to what do you want your the people who are listening to your presentation to take away from it once they leave? So basically, what is your call to action? I find that with a lot of, of presentations, at least the ones that I used to do, I used to slap a bunch of, of slides together, get up there and read them and try to get out of the out of there as quickly as possible in front of these people. But I never got out of there, especially when I was giving the presentations in front of management, I never got out of there as quickly as possible because, as I mentioned, I'd get these questions afterwards I thought I'd, I'd, I'd answer during the presentation. But if you have that call to action in mind and you kind of use that as your North Star, I suppose, when it, when it comes to preparing your presentation, putting it together, it really helps in kind of figuring out what you need to say that will lead to that call to action. So basically, you start with that and then you work backwards. What points do I need to make during the presentation that lead to that call to action. And what it does is it eliminates any extraneous information that you might have added if you was just started from the beginning and worked your way to the end. And that's really helpful when you're presenting to senior management who may not be technical, who are very busy people. You know, no one's ever complained about a presentation being too short. So you, once you have that, that call to action together, and you figure out what those points need to be to the, lead to that call to action. It really helps to get rid of all the fluff. So what is your like philosophy about like the technical part for non-technical people? What advice do you give to people when they're trying to present to the C-suite that don't have technical background, but your project itself is very technical? How do you bridge the gap between telling them what they need to know without getting too in the weeds where they get lost with the technical detail? You really want to eliminate or minimize technical jargon. The, the kind of words that you might use amongst your peers that are within your group, try to, to minimize those as much as possible and use more commonly used words. When I worked in medical devices, I worked at a spinal device company. And more specifically, I worked on the orthobiologics group. And for those of you all that don't know what orthobiologics is, you wouldn't be alone. The people that I used to present to, they had no clue what orthobiologics meant either. It was a group that was actually new to the company that I was at. And I was brought in as one of the engineers to work in that in that particular group. So a lot of the presentations I used to have to give 
with a lot of education about what is orthobiologics? Why are we doing it within the company? All these terms that you would mention to the other people in the group wouldn't apply here. What's an osteoblast, Neil? What's an osteoclast? Why do you keep using those words? That's what I used to do when I first started giving those presentations. And those are the type of questions I'd get afterwards. But it never occurred to me that they didn't know what these words meant. And if they don't know what these words mean, then how are they how are they going to be able to make a decision as to whether this is a project that should continue on? And I think I think I mentioned the project was eventually canceled. So, I mean, <laughs> so it was definitely what I needed to do if I had to do it all over again. And this was, you know, 15 years ago at this point was use more commonly used words. What's an osteoblast? It's a bone forming cell. What's an osteoclast? It's a it's a bone eating cell. I mean, you could actually picture that forming the bone and, and eating the bone, eating the old bone away. I mean, that's something that anyone outside of, of orthobiologics can actually visualize and see. So if I had used these more commonly used words, then they would have thought, okay, I, I kind of understand what this guy's talking about now. Now I'm actually willing to listen more to what he has to say as opposed to waiting to the end of the presentation to ask him what these terms mean. So that's a big thing. And I think another thing that to mention is to just have empathy for the audience. I worked in orthobiologics. I wasn't always in orthobiologics. I didn't always know what an osteoblast and osteoclast meant. And yet here I am talking to these people as if they're supposed to know, even though at one point I didn't know. So have that empathy for the audience to understand that they don't have the same technical expertise as you do. Put things in a way that they can understand. I and mean, when you have that empathy and when you eliminate that jargon, you're going to have a way better outcome in terms of people actually listening to what you have to say. I love that. So with Teach the Geek and, and your membership, do you have like a primary audience that you work with, you know, students, early career professionals, or does it range in terms of the level of experience and technical background? Typically, it's early career or even engineers who are looking to move into management, especially with that latter group. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to be an individual contributor who is technically proficient. It's another thing, another skill set altogether to then have to lead those people because now you're not relying on your technical skills anymore. It's more... So I guess the soft skills, it's the persuading, it's the, it's the talking to people, it's, you know, being a good person, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> not saying that individual contributors aren't good people, but essentially those are the type of people I work with, those who have those technical backgrounds and want to get better at presenting in front of people, just speaking to people in general, because I found that the people who move up within organizations tend to be those people. It's not necessarily the person who is, you know, the brilliant jerk. They have this, this technical expertise and they know it really well, but they're not the best at communicating it to others. And oftentimes those are the people who sit in their cubicles stewing because someone else got the promotion and raise that they thought they deserved, but they didn't do the work that actually was needed to move up within the organization, which is networking with the decision makers, which is to just increase your visibility within an organization. They thought that, well, I'm, I'm good at what I do, so that should be enough. And people should notice what I do and give me what I deserve. But that rarely happens. And if you were to think about it, why would it happen? You, you think that everybody's just focused on you because you're so special? Well, if, if, if everyone thought that way, nothing would ever really get done. It's the people who get noticed are the people who make themselves noticed. Absolutely. Do you have, on that note, do you have any additional advice for being able to kind of rise up that ladder? Like for me, for instance, I found it helpful to just continuously be asking, not obnoxiously, but during our quarterly reviews with my supervisor, my manager, just to ask what steps do I need to take 
to reach that next level in terms of that promotion. And then that helped gain clarity, but then also they realized, okay, this is something that is on the horizon. This is something that Puneeth is thinking of. Has he bridged that gap yet between one engineering level and the other? But I just wanted to get your input as well. Well, what you're doing is smart to do. So certainly continue to do it. And I think another strategy you could possibly use or anyone who's listening to this conversation is to study the people who are where you want to be. What are they doing? Once you figure out what they're doing, find opportunities to do those things as well. So I mentioned that visibility is really important if you want to move up within an organization. If people don't know you, then it's very difficult to get on those decision makers' radar. So take initiative and look for opportunities to get in front of these people. And it might be difficult to do because you're so far removed from who they are so far removed from them. What I found has been really helpful is getting familiar with their administrative assistants. So these are the people that they report to them. They're basically the right-hand person, right-hand man, right-hand woman. Get in good with them. What is your boss like? What kind of, what kind of presentations does your, does your boss gravitate towards? What, 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 basically, what, what interests your boss? And this person is likely going to be able to give you some great insights. So whenever you speak to this person, you can mention these things. And then when you do that, now, now you're kind of you're top of mind of that person, that beneath guy. You know, he's <laughs> onto something. I I want to know more about him. You know, and, and that's really how it starts. It's just being able to get on the radar of the people that can actually affect your career. So one thing that you mentioned was that, like, as a manager higher up in the ranks, you develop a different skill set than just technical. Other than persuasion, what type of skills can you start working on now to be ready for that jump if you ever make it? Well, you got to be able to network, and which is really difficult for people like myself. I, I tend to be more of an introvert. I'm, I only speak when I really have something to say for the most part. And that's probably not going to change anytime soon. But it's being able to get yourself out there and, and meet others, because that's where opportunities often come from. A few months ago, I gave a, a webinar to a, a group at a University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And that actually led to me doing some adjunct work for one of their courses. Now, if I hadn't reached out to one of their professors on LinkedIn one day, that never would have happened. And surprised, but should I have been thinking, well, they should find me because I'm so great? No, that's, that's typically not how life works. If, if you want, if you want something, you have to go out there and and get it. So, networking with people that could help you out—that's that's certainly helpful. And then LinkedIn is good for that. And then you also mentioned persuasion. That's an important one too. And just being able to spot blind spots, I think, is really helpful too. It's just, you're in an organization, you have a job, you know what you're supposed to do, but then being able to see, you know, this process could possibly be improved in this way. And maybe I could figure out a way to actually do it. And then going up to somebody who actually has the power to make that happen and say, you know, this can actually be improved by you know X, Y, and Z. And now they're thinking, okay, this person actually takes initiative. They're not just focused on their job. They're actually focused on what can what can be done to help the company as a whole. Those are the type of people that companies tend to keep around, and especially in this time when so many companies are, are laying off people. If you're that type of person that the decision maker thinks, no, we can't lose this person. This person is indispensable. They go above and beyond their position. Well, now you're way better positioned to actually keep your job. Absolutely. I feel like if you're finding ways to improve processes, whether that's from the time perspective or the money perspective, then you're now able to really quantify the results that you're bringing, the value that you're bringing to the company. And then this is just some advice that one of my supervisors gave me, but being able to just take that initiative, like you mentioned, and going ahead and doing it, you know, 
taking the lead on improving that process and then just bringing the results to your supervisor shows an added level of initiative. So really agree with with that input and just wanted to add that little bit extra where if, if you're willing to just go ahead and, and do that and have the full confidence that it's going to work, then that's an added bonus from that standpoint. I wanted to transition now from the public speaking standpoint. So I wanted to see from the membership that you were able to put together, are there recurring public speaking issues that you see across the people that you coach? And if so, what are they? And what are some of those potential solutions to overcome those challenges? One of the big ones is not taking the the audience into account when putting your presentations together. I mean, I think I touched on it earlier, but it's just knowing the people that are in the audience, what's their level of expertise as to what you're talking about and matching that or meeting, meeting people where they are. You know, we have this technical expertise and you have to give this technical presentation, but the people that you're talking to typically don't have that same level. So being able to speak at their level is really important. And I think a lot of us we don't necessarily take that into account. I know I certainly didn't when I first started giving presentations. So that's that's a big one. Another one that I found, and, and maybe is, isn't talked about enough, is the idea of timing. So when you're talking to, especially the senior level people, these people are pressed for time. I had to give, as I mentioned, I had to give presentations in front of management. I wasn't the only person. It was an all-day affair. So for one full day, all these senior management people have to sit in the room and have all the project leads come and talk about their project status up and give and give updates. And we're given 15 minutes per project. So if anyone went over that time, that just threw the whole agenda off. And now that these people who already have to be there for the whole day, essentially, are becoming annoyed because they're going to have to be there even longer because people aren't taking their timing into account. So when it comes to putting presentations together, especially if you're talking to a non-technical audience, you want to make sure that you you stay within the time that you're allotted because they already are there because they don't have the, as I mentioned, they don't have the same level of expertise you do. They might even be annoyed by the fact that they have to sit through this presentation. Don't go over time. It's really annoying to them. I also mentioned the issue of the jargon, you know, mentioning osteoblasts and osteoclasts. Don't do that if the people in the audience have no clue what any of those words means. Those are the three big ones, timing, making sure that you you meet your audience where you are and eliminating technical jargon. Those are the ones that I see. My favorite communication advice that I got is about the timing. It's like you need to be able to explain anything that you do in 30 seconds, three minutes and 30 minutes. And so I think that you will talk to a range of different people. And so having enough mastery over your subject to be able to break it down to these different audiences is what can set you apart in public speaking. Well, one other thing I, I failed to mention is back when I worked as an engineer, I used to have to go to conferences. And these were more technical conferences. And if you were to <laughs> if you were to go to one of these conferences and sit through one of these talks, my God, I mean, you can look at the agenda and you can see this person has 15 minutes to give this presentation. And after the presentation is done, then they start the lunch. Why is this person still talking at 20 minutes? So now the lunch is starting late and now I'm hangry. <laughs> so don't don't be that guy. If, you, if you're given 15 minutes, please stick within 15. And one thing that you and I discussed on your podcast was the importance of visualization. And so I wanted to get into that here as well. I felt that whenever I had the opportunity to really visualize how my presentation would go beforehand, really think through, you know, all of the observations, the environment, exactly how the presentation would go, 
then that really helped going into it. And it led to kind of that successful outcome or that call to action more frequently. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the importance of visualization and maybe why it helps so much to be able to prepare like that beforehand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. We did we did talk about that on my podcast. I'm certainly not going to change my tune now. <laughs> it absolutely is important to, to visualize success because if you tell yourself you suck, you likely will. But if you tell yourself you're improving, this is something that I'm, I'm practicing and progressing and practice makes progress. You're likely going to go down that path. So I'm a big fan of visualization. And what I typically do before a presentation is I'll close my eyes. I'll take a deep breath and I'll actually picture how I think things will go, how I want things to go. So I'll, I'll picture myself hitting all the points that I need to hit in the order in which I want to hit them. I'll picture myself hitting the call to action the way I want to hit it. I'll picture myself answering the questions confidently and even confidently saying, I don't know, because you don't know the answers to all to all questions. <laughs> you know, funny enough, when I first started giving presentations, I was very uncomfortable saying, I don't know. So I, I mentioned I, I worked in, in orthobiologics and many of the people in the audience didn't really know much about the field. So if they asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to, I'd lie. <laughs> uh, how was they going to know? <laughs> they don't know if I'm lying or not. But eventually I got to the point where, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. At some point, I might very well be called out, <laughs> you know, if, if I was to do this in the wrong place. So maybe being comfortable saying, I don't know, is, is more than okay. Essentially, as I said, I, I, I pictured how I wanted things to go. And then I'd open my eyes and I'd be in a much better state to actually get up in front of people and, and give the presentation. Maybe I'm not sweating as much as I was before. Maybe my heart rate has lowered more than it than it was. And it's made all the difference. And, and I know it sounds kind of kind of woo-woo to a bunch of, of, of technical types, but it's made, as I mentioned, it's made all the difference to me in getting better and just being in a better state to give presentations. And maybe to satisfy that scientific aspect of it, there's actually a powerful study that was done where there's two different groups of people and one group was practicing free throws every single day for a month, you know, 50 to 100 free throws. And the other group, they wouldn't even touch a basketball. They would just purely visualize shooting the free throw every day, you know, not actually practicing at all. And at the end of the month, they both had the study, shot a number of free throws, and they got the exact same results. So it just shows kind of that power of the mindset and the visualization, right? It can achieve the same performance as pure practice. So imagine if you can do both of them, then it's really powerful. I just thought that was super fascinating. Oh, yeah. So then if you actually were to, to visualize yourself taking the free throws and then actually take the free throws, now now you're, now you're unstoppable. Exactly. So like Kanis said, Teach the Geek has a podcast. We just want to know if you could share any inspiring testimonials or success stories from your time with Teach the Geek. Oh, sure. Yeah. The podcast is me interviewing people with technical backgrounds about their public speaking journeys. And it's been really interesting to hear these stories. So I mentioned I used to struggle giving presentations in front of management. So I really wanted to hear from other people that have technical backgrounds about what they did. So a lot of questions I would ask is, if getting better at public speaking was something that was important to you, what did you do to get better at it? Do you have a process for putting your presentations together? If you get nervous before presentations, how do you deal with your nerves? And just hearing some of the answers to these questions have been really interesting. So one of them, <laughs> one of them that I heard very recently, this episode actually hasn't come out yet. One of my guests said that when she before before she gives a presentation to deal with her nerves, 
she wiggles her toes <laughs> and she she wiggles her toes. And the reason she does that is that now she's focused on the wiggling of her toes and not the nerves that she's feeling about giving the presentation. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll try that next my next presentation. Just wiggle. <laughs> I wiggle my toes. I was like, are you wiggling your toes before? Are you wiggling your toes during? It's like apparently she's wiggling the whole time. And it's not that people can tell. I mean, you're you're unless you're wearing sandals, I guess. But if you're wearing, <laughs> you're wearing shoes, people can't tell you're wiggling your toes. So I guess whenever you feel that that nervous that's coming on just start wiggling interesting helps take your mind off things i guess so yeah yeah i'll try it next time too and we'll see <laughs> we'll find out yeah but that's awesome i would love to hear what are your goals with teach the geek like short-term goals as well as your long-term vision for reaching a broader audience and helping more people improve their technical communication skills and public speaking skills well, short term, it's it's always to to get the name out there more. I, you mentioned I have the podcast and and the YouTube channel. Funny enough, I started the YouTube channel before I started the podcast. It was actually a, a former guest who had suggested that I do a podcast, and this was actually pre pandemic. He said that a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're driving, and they won't be able to watch a YouTube video while driving, at least if they're being safe. But they would more than likely listen to a podcast. So I thought, okay, that's cool. So. I developed the podcast to, to, to go along with the YouTube channel. So certainly short term is to continue to do that and, and hear the, the stories of people with these technical backgrounds and what they did to improve their public speaking skills. And then long term is just partnering with more organizations, whether they be engineering associations or, or companies, bringing me in to, to do trainings on, on giving better technical presentations. And it likely will continue to be that way. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that talk about public speaking and its importance. And there might even be some that, that talk about it for when it, when it comes to people who have more technical backgrounds. But the reason I focus on technical backgrounds is because that's where I come from. And I can relate to the, those people who have to give those type of presentations. I, I don't think I'll ever do any sort of trainings for people outside of those fields because I never experienced it myself. I don't have that same credibility. So that that really is it. And <laughs> funny enough, something I really want to focus on short and long term, especially as it relates to, to Teach the Geek, is prospecting and following up. So prospecting hasn't been as big of an issue, but following up has. I'm a forgetful person. So if I message somebody and they don't get back to me right away, I'll forget that I messaged them and I likely won't follow up. And, and that's been a, an Achilles heel of mine for quite some time. And, and I've, I don't really believe in New, York, New Year's resolution. So I actually started this in December of last year. <laughs> it's, just, it's just getting a CRM, yep. you know, getting that, that, that software to actually keep me on track on what my to-dos are. Okay, if you don't hear back from this person within two weeks, follow up with them. And I, I've been really diligent in using it. And, and, I continued, and I will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we, we've had similar challenges with, you know, just reaching out to guests for our podcast. And I remember David had created like a tool just with Google Sheets where you just put in, you know, who you reached out to, and then it'll send you an email or it would send me an email with a reminder like seven days later to follow up. And so still use that tool. But I think a CRM, I think HubSpot has one like that's free, but that probably achieves the same purpose. But 
it, it's been a challenge for us as well. <laughs> Made you a cheap CRM. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, David. <laughs> I guess our audience is primarily students and early career professionals. Just to wrap up this conversation, we'd just love to hear if you have any final tips or common issues that you think specifically these people need to look out for in order to improve their technical communication. Don't be like me, at least at first. As I mentioned in my first job, I didn't have to give any presentations. It wasn't something I was upset about. I didn't show any initiative to actually give any. I was more than happy to let my boss do all the talking for me. And don't do that. When you start working, you're going to be working with other people. You're going to be talking to your other coworkers, management, perhaps customers, vendors. It depends on where your career takes you. But the idea of becoming more proficient at speaking to others is really going to set you apart, especially from those who, have, who also have technical backgrounds who shy away from that type of thing. You certainly will set yourself apart from those types. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the people who talk, the people who network, the people who communicate, the people who are visible, those are the people to get the opportunities. You don't want to be that engineer who is sitting at their desk or sitting remotely somewhere mad because someone else got that opportunity. But you were never going to get that opportunity because you didn't do what you needed to do to put yourself in the position to get that opportunity. So always keep that in mind. And when it comes to just anything, really, public speaking, networking, influencing people, practice makes progress. There's no such thing as perfection. There's always room for improvement. That's awesome. Yeah. Finding opportunities to escape your comfort zone is something I definitely agree with. That's where all the growth happens. So thank you so much, Neil, for joining us today. It was a pleasure. And I found this discussion super informative. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.